All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. It's time for the Text Lab podcast. That time of the week that you wait for every single week. A lot's happened in the last week. Lots happened in the Roman series. We're moving through this series. A lot's happened in your life, Kyle, is continuing to happen. I'm curious about your thought process on whether the Oakland A's will stay in Oakland. Will they move to Vegas? Will they ever make the playoffs again in your lifetime? All questions to dive into on the Text Lab podcast today. I'm here with the one and only Kyle Lundquist. It's good to be back. It's great to be back. The A's, I honestly have no idea what's going on with the A's. Vegas, baby. They Once I learned that, I, I read an article early in the, before the season that Max Scherzer, a pitcher, yes. was individually making more money than the entire Oakland A's <sighs> roster at wow. some point. I kind of gave up. So Well, it's been rumored that Vintage Grace Pastors make more money than the yes. Oakland A's entire roster, which says less about us and more about how yes, to little... Be clear, the, that, that's, yeah, just to be clear about yeah. my point there. <laughs> that is not saying... All right, man. Or this podcast is off to a great start. That, that is saying how bad the Oakland A's are was yeah, the point I was really trying to make bad. there. Um, yes. I'm Well... Hockey season is coming. I'm a San Jose Sharks fan. That's exciting. That's what I'm looking forward yes. to. Yes. We can unpack hockey on a different podcast, but this is the Text Lab, where every week we do a deep dive into the text to just help you be a disciple who makes disciples. Our hope is that the Text Lab would help you grow and have meaningful study, reflection, and conversation about what God has said to us in his word. Kyle, you want to start us off with a little bit of context review, just kind of where we're at in the Romans series as we get to Romans 10, moving out of Romans 9 now, second week out of Romans 9, just kind of where are we at at this point? Yeah, so today we're in Romans 10, verses 5 through 13. So just a little bit of background context. At the end of Romans 9 and into 10, Paul is lamenting, he's grieving that Israel has largely rejected Jesus. So he talks about the fact that Jesus is a stumbling stone, that the Israelites, they couldn't receive and see Christ for who he actually is. They trip over him. Um, But he longs for them to be saved. And um, that's, that's actually really important for us to see that Paul's response to people who reject Jesus is not to reject them. It's to pray for and long for and seek their salvation. Um, at the end of um, verse 4 in chapter 10, Paul writes that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Kind of an odd turn of phrase, but he's just getting at the idea that Jesus fulfills the law and and primarily that righteousness is found in Christ, which is really what he's going to be hammering in Romans 10. So he's saying righteousness is found in Jesus. So maybe the question we're going to think about today that Paul's going to answer is how can somebody have right relationship with Yahweh? He's already alluded to this, obviously, that it's Jesus. But that's, again, that's, that's the question we're going to sit with today. How can we have right relationship with Yahweh so that being said, Dave, you want to read our passage? It's a little longer. Um, again, it's Romans 10, verse 5, all the way through 13. All right, here we go. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to just say, as I read that passage, that having risen to, some might say, elite ranks in the world of Awana, Mm. Reading Romans 10, Mm-mm-mm. 9 through 10 strikes me deeply in my heart because that was a verse that I had memorized from a young age, repeated on my way to Timothy Awards. You got that crown. I got or that, that jewel, crown. That jewel in that crown. Questionable whether the crown was here on earth or in heaven, but either way, I had earned some, uh, some you know, prizes at the gift shop for the Awanas, but... I think that is a great place to even start because there's a very, very, very well-known verse in this passage, part of the Romans Road. Um, Many people hear and know that verse, but it is actually part of, believe it or not, a broader context that's going on in Paul's arguments. And when we talk with our listeners about being good readers of scripture, genre, and just what's going on in the literary uh, literary text is super important because then, first of all, to step back and you realize, oh, this is a part of a broader argument in Romans 10, but really even to understand this is a part of a, a broader o- argument in Romans 9 through 11. Um, some easy ways to kind of split Romans up into four different sections is Roman Paul really hits um, a few key themes talking about just righteousness and God's righteousness revealed to all people in Romans 1 through 3. Romans 4 through 8, he really starts to talk about this righteousness that comes by faith that Abraham believed it was credited to him as righteousness this new righteousness that comes from the Spirit, uh, from Christ through the Spirit in Romans 4 through 8. Romans 9 through 11 now really talking about the role of Israel and um, righteousness and faith that is um, in Christ and Israel's role in that and God's dealing with Israel. And then we'll move kind of into another section in 12 through 16. So really just to kind of zoom out a little bit from that verse, even Romans 9 and 10, 10, 9 and 10, and just recognize the bigger kind of context that is going on here, which really Paul's em- emphasizing a, a few things here as he seeks to answer that question, how can we have a right relationship with Yahweh? Yeah, so you could jump straight into verse 9 and say, how can you have a right relationship with Yahweh? Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's great. Um, he's he's hammering home this idea that righteousness is found in and through Jesus, and we have access to Christ through faith. Here he's talking about belief and confession. Um, but but it is, it's in this larger context. And first he's addressing prominent ways of thinking um, and, and repudiating them. So actually what he first says is that he emphasizes that human activity cannot make us right with God. And so we, we are not made right with God by works or because of our heritage. So I'll let you hit heritage in a second, but just to, to hammer this idea that we we cannot make ourselves right with God by works. Um, if you look at verse 6, it says, uh, well, we'll start in 5. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ down up from the dead. So he's contrasting this idea that you could access and make yourself righteous through the law and then contrasting that with this righteousness that's based on faith in Jesus. 
And one of the things he's doing, there's these weird quotes that he starts bringing up. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Mm. He's, he's actually hyperlinking back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, there's a passage that says this. It says, do not say in your heart after Yahweh your God has thrust them out before you. Talking about um, kicking the enemies of the land, out of the land. He's saying, don't say in your heart, it is because of my righteousness that Yahweh has brought me in to possess this land. And so what he's doing there is he's drawing their mind back to an Old Testament narrative when Israel was warned by God that as God was going to banish their enemies from the land, God warns them and says, hey, don't say in your heart, it's because yeah. of us yeah. that we've received this land. Yeah. It's actually just Yahweh. And so now what Paul's saying is the same thing is true of salvation. Don't say in your heart, it's because of me, because mm-hmm. of what I've done, because of what I could do that I get to have access to God, that one day I'll be in the land of heaven. He's saying no. And instead, it's going to come through faith, confessing that Jesus is the Lord. So the first thing Paul hits and hammers is that works do not save us. But then I think there's also this important idea that you've been bringing up lately that I really appreciate that our heritage doesn't make us right. So maybe you can help us think about how Israelites of that day may have thought that, hey, I'm Jewish, and just the fact that I'm Jewish means I'm one of God's people. Yeah, so it's interesting. Paul really is talking about this both individual and collective sense of salvation. When he's talking about justification by faith, he's talking about that happening within every human heart. That's part of the new covenant that God is going to turn every individual human heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that the Spirit comes and lives inside each individual person rather than the Spirit living in the temple. So there is this... um, unique movement happening as Jesus has established the new covenant and the spirit now has gone into every person and they're being sent out throughout the whole world as the spirit and the gospel goes forth to the whole world. But I think it's important when we read a passage like Romans 10 that we're understanding a little bit of like the Jewish idea of salvation for how they would have even understood salvation in their context. So when Paul's talking in Romans 5, he mentions Moses, who is really kind of this personification of the law. You can read Moses and understand um, Moses as the one who wrote down the law, the one who the law was given, and that that law truly was a gift. But the way that it went astray and the way that Jesus even particularly calls out the Pharisees and the Sadducees for their misunderstanding about salvation is when they talked about Moses or even Abraham as their kind of great-great-grandfather that ushered them basically into salvation because they were Jewish. I think John 8 is a a, uh, really helpful place where we kind of get an insight into their understanding uh, in John 8. 33, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and they answer, it says that they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And (laughs) Jesus says, I know you are offspring of Abraham. I know that he is your great grandfather, but if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works that Abraham did. And so basically what is going on there is they're claiming Abraham as their heritage and that they are his offspring, offspring, meaning that they have salvation because of Abraham, um, that they're not enslaved. And Jesus is saying, no, you are enslaved and you need me. You need me to set you free. You need the salvation that I am bringing. Um, but, but then 
that's basically one of the big reasons why they are missing Christ is because they are trusting in Abraham and trusting in Moses. And so I think when we're looking at a passage like this, Paul is writing to address a little bit of their misunderstanding about works that might have occurred through effort in the law. And I think that was definitely happening, but also there's just collective sense of salvation that would have occurred because they were Jews. They thought that they were good. They thought that they were already in the kingdom because of their heritage. And he's saying your Jewish heritage was ultimately always pointing to me. Um, and I have come to rescue you. I've come to bring salvation to you, which leads us further down the road towards Romans 8 and 9 and 10 about what and how salvation happens that is ultimately through faith that makes us right with God. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart, the resurrection, then you will be saved. And so it's not, it's not that anything less than the Awana memory verse is true, but it is just a bigger, I think, understanding of salvation than we normally think of it as. Yeah. So maybe just one other thought on Romans 10, 9, confessing with your heart that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So there's this belief part that um, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And I think that's that little phrase is actually loaded with a lot of meaning that we're actually trusting that in Jesus's resurrection, I will find my salvation and my resurrection life, that his death and his resurrection are what save me. But then I think the first part is really important too, where he says we're, we're confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. This is different than just believing that God is real. Mm. Paul's going to say in Galatians that the demons believe God is real, yeah, but they don't submit to him as Lord. Mm. And so Christians aren't just people who acknowledge the existence of God. We are people who have submitted to Jesus as King and trusted that his resurrection means that one day I can have resurrected life because mm. in his death and resurrection, um, I am cleansed of my sin. And so I just think that's really important to, to hit on um, that. Yeah. We're not just saying, Christians are people who believe that God's real or even, or even just saying that, yeah, I think God actually did raise Jesus from the dead. There's a, there's a submitting and an entrusting our life into his hands. I used to work with high school students and I would talk to them about following Jesus means that we, we trust him as our savior, that he forgives us, but we're also trusting him as our King, which means he's in charge of our life. And so that actually, when we hit Romans 12, Paul's going to start expounding on what does it mean to follow Jesus as Lord and, and see him as our king. Maybe we can just wrap up by thinking about some implications for our life. Um, one thing that I think about in this passage is, is just that Paul is addressing the wrong, the false idea that self-reliance could make you right with God. And, and that self-reliance could look like, I just think because I'm part of this nation, or maybe for us today, I was born into a Christian family, that we think our heritage would save us, or uh, maybe more on the nose, a self-reliant notion that I can be good enough and I'll ascend into heaven on my own. I just think there's, there's, a, there's a real danger in our world that values individualism and competency and strength and all these things that all have their place, but there's a danger of what I call bootstrap Christianity, where we just want to be Christians who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And that could show up as we think about salvation, that I am going to be good enough and I'll just crank it out. It could also show up as we try to fight sin, that we think that I am going to overcome sin by white knuckled 
self-reliant fortitude. It could show up as hardship comes and we think, I just need to sort of grit it out and, and, and force myself to endure this. And I actually think what scripture presents is a really different picture. Rather than presenting us as self-reliant people, we're incredibly needy and dependent people, which is really uncomfortable as modern Americans to admit. Um, we don't usually want to raise our hands and say, I'm, I'm weak. But Paul in, in Corinthians hammers this idea and talks about, it's actually in my weakness that I find strength. And he frames weakness, not um, weakness is a space and a place where we encounter Jesus. Um, and so I just think, you know, that, that's not, Paul's not using the language of weakness in this passage, but those same ideas of, of the, the dangers of being self-reliant and just trying to depend on ourselves in our spiritual life. Paul's just revealing that that's rubbish and it, it does not work. And instead he's calling us to be people who live by faith, who live dependent on, on Christ. Yeah, I think that applies for the same way someone thinks about like initially being saved and then the same way they think about yes. spiritual growth in Jesus continuing on. Because there is a lot of people still that believe that you are saved through works. Um, a common idea is still when you just talk to somebody on the street that you are saved because you are a good person or not. A lot of people think that way and that's just kind of the way they think about salvation is like well i'm better than that person but then i also i had a conversation with a guy this morning at a coffee shop um yet to believe friend and we're talking and uh he had a very laissez-faire approach to salvation so it feels like there is bootstrap um belief system there's that gets converted that that uh adapts into bootstrap christianity but there's also laissez-faire belief systems of like well like big guy in the sky maybe something's there maybe something's not I don't know. I'm just trying to kind of live my life here and do well at work and family and, and just kind of do my thing. And and that also is a false place to put your trust. And I think that's what comes through in this passage is Paul's emphasis on the righteousness of Jesus, whether that is because you're believing in works as a bootstrap or whether you are believing in, in a laissez-faire approach, which is probably a lot more common in our culture or in, in their context, the kind of a Jewish heritage, if you're trusting in that, all of those are these false foundations. None of them are truly the cornerstone that yeah. you need that ultimately is faith in Jesus to fully rely on for us to recognize that and re rely on that to truly confess and believe. And then also as we grow and walk with Jesus to continue to rely on the righteousness that is based on faith. That doesn't go away once you initially believe. That just continues uh, throughout all of your life with Christ. And so I think that's what really hits me, even when you're mm -hmm. talking about that difference between Jesus being your friend versus him being your king, to continue to recognize that um, daily, even in my own life, to trust fully in the work of Christ. Other implications that ju that just hits you with, Kyle? Yeah, well, just to jump off that, I'm just thinking of two ways we could live our life. We could live a self-reliant life in regards to salvation or in terms to our ongoing spiritual life and following Jesus. We could be self-reliant people, which is dangerous and leads to destruction, or we can be God-dependent people who embrace our finiteness, yeah. our weakness, and even our neediness. And, and then we actually find life and counterintuitively what Paul says we actually find strength when we embrace our weakness I'll just read one more thing maybe before we wrap up just to hit on this idea in Revelation Revelation 3 verse 17 um, this is to the to the church in Laodicea this is the indictment that Jesus has against him 
And I, I often think of the American church and myself in this. This is his indictment. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Mm. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by silver so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. His indictment is that they say, I don't need anything. I'm good. Um, And for them in Laodicea, it's because they have wealth, they've prospered, life's comfortable. And and what he says is, no, actually you are, you're like a naked, blind, poor person, Mm. but in me, you find life. And so I think as we think about these, you know, we could, we can be self-reliant people or God-dependent people and as uncomfortable as it is to admit our need of help in salvation or in sanctification, that's actually where we find life is by raising our hand and saying, I need help. Um, and, and Jesus is saying, I'm here to, to give you what you need. Mm. Good stuff. Well, listener, thanks for joining us on the pod. Whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house, driving in the car, whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to just dive deeper with Jesus this week. And as always, if you're leading the discussion, do your own prep. If you're just uh, studying the text, again, we encourage you to put your own nose in the pages of Scripture uh, and, and do your own study. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on the text letter.